guys. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the podcast, you can show your support via Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or follow the link under the contribute tab at wordsforgranted.com. For just a buck a month, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. For a little bit more, you can have your very own Words for Granted mug. If you want to see what they look like, I've posted a picture on the show's Twitter and Facebook accounts. They look great. Thanks to Mark and Robert for their recent contributions. Okay, let's get right on with it. Today's show is the first episode in our mini-series on words derived from Greek philosophy. To understand the meaning of philosophy in the ancient Western world, a good place to start is by looking at the words etymology. Ancient Greece is the birthplace of Western philosophy, so it's appropriate that philosophy itself is ultimately a Greek word. It consists of the words philo, meaning love, and sophis, meaning knowledge or wisdom. So philosophy, or philosophia, as the Greeks would have called it, originally meant the love of wisdom or knowledge. This love of wisdom is a little bit different than what's implied by the word philosophy today. In the modern world, we think of philosophy as the academic study of fundamental questions concerning moral values or the nature of truth and reality, and so on and so forth. You might also define philosophy as a preferred methodology or belief system, but this is a secondary meaning derived from the former. In ancient Greece, the term philosophia certainly applied to investigations into the nature of truth and reality, a la modern philosophy, but it also applied to disparate disciplines such as music, rhetoric, physics, biology, math, medicine, psychology, sociology, even theology. However, these distinct divisions are modern labels that have been anachronistically applied to a context in which they didn't necessarily exist. For example, the ancient Greeks didn't have a distinct field of sociology, but from a modern perspective looking backwards, thinkers such as Plato and Aristotle did indeed write on sociological topics. All intellectual learning was simply lumped into this high ideal of philosophia. In his famous work, The Republic, Plato says, quote, He who has a taste for every sort of knowledge and is curious to learn and is never satisfied may justly be called a philosopher. End quote. The Greek word that Plato used here is philosophos, and like philosophia, it pertained to writers and students of basically every intellectual topic you can imagine, not just philosophy as we think of it. As the word philosophia passed from Greek into Latin and from Latin into the majority of other European languages, it retained its original sense pertaining to all knowledge and wisdom. It wasn't until the 18th century that the meaning of the word began to shift and become more specialized, but more on that in a few minutes. An interesting place where this broad, archaic sense of the word philosophy still survives today is in the title PhD. A PhD is the highest academic degree that one can earn at a university, and it literally stands for 
Doctor of Philosophy, originally Philosophiae Doctor in Latin. This title doesn't make much sense given the modern meanings of doctor and philosophy, but when PhDs first emerged in the Middle Ages, a doctor, which comes from the Latin verb docere, meaning to teach, doctor meant a qualified teacher, and philosophy, as we now know, meant all intellectual knowledge. Today, we might think of someone like Isaac Newton, the godfather of modern physics, as a scientist. But to his peers in the 17th century, he would have been, yes, you guessed it, a philosopher. More specifically, a natural philosopher. In fact, until the 18th century, the entire field of science was known as natural philosophy. Newton's groundbreaking work that introduced the laws of motions and force of gravity was not called the mathematical principles of physics, but rather the mathematical principles of natural philosophy. Up until this point in history, science, or scientia in Latin, was just a sophisticated synonym for knowledge itself. It comes from the Latin root scire, which meant to know. Even after the modern sense of the word science came into vogue, it coexisted alongside its semantic predecessor, natural philosophy, all the way into the 19th century. In 1811, Mary Shelley published the novel Frankenstein, and it repeatedly refers to science as natural philosophy. In as late as 1867, Lord Kelvin and Peter Guthrie Tate published a massively influential physics textbook entitled Treatise of Natural Philosophy. For the majority of history, it was common for natural philosophers to be equally versed in biology, chemistry, and physics because there were no stark differentiations between these disciplines. This might seem totally crazy to us because nowadays you can get a degree in something as specific as, I don't know, frog neurology or something, but back then there was a lot less to know, so there was a lot less specialization. As modern science began to emerge in the 18th century, it became harder to be a jack of all natural philosophical trades, so the individual disciplines of biology, chemistry, and physics began to emerge. As we've already seen, and are about to further discuss, natural philosophy is just one subcategory of traditional philosophia. In order to avoid confusion, from here on out I'm going to use that term philosophia the Greek and Latin word, to refer to the traditional sense of philosophy, meaning the love of knowledge. And I'm going to use philosophy to refer to the modern sense of philosophy. The etymology of philosophy is pretty well known, and because of this, I originally wasn't planning on doing a full episode on it. I thought it would just be too obvious. But as I thought more about it, I realized that knowing this etymology at face value doesn't necessarily tell you the full story behind what philosophia was and what modern philosophy is. In fact, without any context, just knowing the etymology of philosophy at face value can be a little misleading. Let me explain what I mean. Let's say you were a student in a classical philosophy 101 class. You've got a really crappy professor who monotonously reads passages straight from the textbook asks if anyone has questions, doesn't really answer those questions, and then tells all the students they can leave 20 minutes before class is over. I actually had a professor like this, but he shall go unnamed. Anyway, 
On day one of this class, that's a waste of your time and money, this professor tells you that philosophy comes from a Greek word meaning the love of knowledge. Full stop. That's it. That's all he says. Unless you know better, you might succumb to a very tempting etymological fallacy here. An etymological fallacy is the faulty belief that a word's original meaning is its true meaning. Well, if we take the classical meaning of philosophia to be the true meaning of the modern English word philosophy, then it might make you think that philosophy itself is knowledge incarnate. It might make you think that if you don't read every philosophical work in the Western canon twice over, you'll never know knowledge on a first-name basis, or that you now know something about the nature of pure knowledge that the average Joe Schmo on the street doesn't. These ideas are not only incredibly pretentious, but also historically off-base. The modern discipline called philosophy is not a straightforward continuation of philosophia. You see, the modern discipline that goes by the name philosophy comprises works that historically would have belonged to subcategories of that all-inclusive whirlpool called philosophia. Works of so-called philosophy that were written prior to the 18th century would have been generally subcategorized as either ethical philosophy or metaphysical philosophy. Now, for the philosophy buffs listening, I'm well aware that there are dozens of other categories of philosophy out there, but in the classical world, this three-way compartmentalization of philosophia into natural philosophy, ethical philosophy, and metaphysical philosophy was a fairly common convention. And since Words for Granted isn't a philosophy podcast proper, I don't feel the need to split hairs over the fine details. If you're so inclined, you should check out Stephen West's Philosophize This podcast for that. The evolution of ethics and metaphysics into the discipline of modern philosophy is really no different than the evolution of natural philosophy into the branches of modern science, except there's no semantic confusion about the meaning of natural philosophy because we decided to throw that term out and rebrand the discipline of science with a whole new name. Since the subcategories of philosophia were historically viewed as different aspects of a single pursuit, it's not surprising that many writers who we consider to be philosophers also wrote non-philosophical works. Of course, non-philosophical according to our sense of the term. For example, Aristotle wrote about a half a dozen books on biology, particularly on the classification of animals and plants. René Descartes, the I think therefore I am guy, invented the Cartesian coordinate system which became the foundation of analytical geometry. You wouldn't read Aristotle's biology or Descartes' mathematics in a modern philosophy class, but that's only because we live in a world where the traditional subcategories of philosophia have become more specialized. Anyway, I felt that it was important to address this etymological fallacy up front because I myself bought into it at one point. Thankfully, it wasn't because of some crappy college professor, but because of my own naivete. At some point as a teenager, way before I knew anything about anything, I had learned that the etymology of philosophy was the love of knowledge or wisdom. Naturally, I thought, oh, Philosophy must be the ultimate form of wisdom, because 
That's what the word actually means. And by extension, philosophers must be the smartest people on the planet. At some point along the path of my intellectual progress as a human being, I dropped that very black and white notion, but it wasn't until fairly recently that I actually understood the context of this etymology. Even after I'd realized that philosophy wasn't necessarily equivalent to knowledge incarnate, I assumed that this false and pretentious notion had been built into the word from the very beginning. In other words, I thought that whoever gave philosophy its name had intentionally made it a loaded term meant to belittle all other forms of knowledge. That seemed like a perfectly plausible thing for a self-righteous philosopher to do. But of course, this notion of deliberate pretension that I had was also false. The modern discipline of philosophy is just one method of understanding the world among a variety of other equally valid methods, and the word's etymology is simply a reflection of a time when philosophia meant something quite different. For the remainder of this series, we'll be looking at words that not only come from Greek philosophy, but also from Greek philosophia in the broader sense. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. I also hope that this episode lays a good foundation for the other episodes to come. Alright, that's it for this one, guys. I know this episode is a little shorter than usual, but don't worry. The rest of the episodes in this series will be of the regular length. Again, if you want to show your support, patreon.com slash wordsforgranted is your ticket. If that's not in your budget, but you'd still like to help out the show, I'd love if you left a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. Those positive reviews really do help the show grow. If you've got questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to me directly at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter, both of which are just words for granted. You can find me. Okay, have a great day. I'll talk to you all soon. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.